1 Samuel chapter 20. I guess this is very well-known uh, scripture, a very, I, I guess, preached, no telling how many times. But I, I believe a great picture, and may the Lord help us to bring more out of it than, than what you've seen before. But in 1 Samuel chapter 20, let's start maybe down about verse 14, and we'll just read a verse or two here. And thou shalt not only, while I yet live, shew me the kindness of the Lord that I die not, but also that thou shalt not cut off the kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. And that's all we'll read there. Um, we'll flip around as we go and maybe progress. But uh, So here is, we know, and let's just quickly review and get in our head what's going on here. Saul was the first anointed king over Israel. And Saul had failed to follow God's commandment, Saul would not repent, and God rejected Saul as being the king. Now Jonathan was Saul's son. Jonathan knew this. And the sad thing about it is that for Saul's house and family to be cut off from the king, I believe Jonathan realized that he was going to die. That as long as he was alive, he would be the successor to the throne, and I, I don't believe he wanted that at all. But there was a realization here that his father's kingdom was coming to an end and that he was most likely going to be cut off as a result of it. And David, who was the anointed man for the kingdom at this point, David was going to step in and be the king. So Jonathan here, now David and Jonathan, they loved one another. They loved one another. The Bible says here, as he loved his own soul. They were dear, I would say even closer than brethren, the bond that these men had. And Jonathan takes him and says, Listen, David, when I'm cut off, I want you to be kind to me as long as I'm alive, but I'm going to die one of these days. My family's going to be left. You're going to be exalted to the kingdom. I'd like for you to swear that after I'm gone, your kindness towards my house won't be cut off. And that love, that bond of love that they had, David swore that he would continue to be kind. And he swore that now, be mindful of this, because of the love for Jonathan. Now just a few pages over in Second Samuel chapter 9. I don't know how accurate the timelines is. According to my Bible, this is about 22 years after that David swore to Jonathan. David has come to the kingdom Jonathan and Saul have been killed in battle, and David's now the king. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may shew kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David the king, said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may shew the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, 
Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amael, in Lodibar. So here, David remembers now this covenant that he had made with Jonathan. And he says, Is there anybody left? Now, notice this. He did not know Mephibosheth. He didn't know that Mephibosheth existed. He didn't love Mephibosheth necessarily. How could you love somebody that you didn't know? But this love was purely because he loved Jonathan and had made a commandment for him. He began to search if there was anybody of the house of Jonathan left. And behold, there was this man that was Mephibosheth and we know the account and the story. He was lame on both of his feet. He didn't just have one bad leg. He was crippled in both, so no doubt any type of travel or any benefit that he could be to the kingdom, that he was of no benefit to David. He wasn't going to fight in any wars. He wasn't a great general that had a mind for war. He was just a man that was of Jonathan's family, a son of Jonathan. And so David says, bring him, call him down here to where I'm at. And this call was, you remember, because of the love that David had for Jonathan. There was no other reason that David's going to call Mephibosheth to come other than that he loved Jonathan. And so they called him in verse 6. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely shew thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself, and said, What is thy servant, that thou shouldest look upon a dead dog as I am? And so, you know, the call comes to him. No doubt a fearful call that's made here. Saul was a man that all of his latter years he sought to kill and to murder David. And David was David could have been a great general and brought great victory to the armies of Saul, been a great benefit to Saul's kingdom. But the devil in Saul caused him to hate David for the victories that he won. And he sought to kill him the last years of his life. He pursued David. David lived in caves and in darkness, running and fleeing from the man. And David David could have killed the man several times. God gave him opportunity that he could have took Saul's life, but David was merciful. And so David now being the king, this house of Saul could be a rival to him. And when the call, well, the king's called for you, Mephibosheth, no doubt in his mind now, the fear is there. Well, he's calling to cut me down because I could be in opposition to him and to his kingdom. I could be a means that there be a revolt against David's authority 
as the king, but that was not David's intention in calling him. David wanted to shew this man kindness. David wanted to be good to this man because David loved Jonathan. And Mephibosheth says, how could somebody be good to me? I'm just a dead dog. I don't have anything. My household has been cut off. We've been laid away. Saul's dead. Jonathan's dead. Everything that we've had has been taken away from us. I'm lame on both of my feet. I can't even cook for you down at the house because I'm lame and crippled. Why would you desire to be kind and merciful unto me? Now the God's truth is everybody in the family of God could say those very words. That's what we all are and that's what we all were and certainly we can see that. But because David loved Jonathan, he was going to bring Mephibosheth in. And you know, uh, he, he, he didn't know the man this looks like the first time that they've ever met one another. David never loved him before. David didn't know him before. And I believe this, as they, as they gathered together at the table, he's going to sit at the king's table and eat. When David looked over and seen him, he didn't see Mephibosheth, but he saw Jonathan. He saw the one that he loved. He saw his dear brother that had helped him, that they had fought together and warred together and loved one another. That's who he saw sitting at the table. Now that's a great love. I believe Mephibosheth, a little later on, he's going to be slandered by Ziba, his servant, and he's going to have all of his stuff taken from him. And he comes back before David and says, who am I to even cry any further? Everything I've got is because of you, and if you took it, you'd be just in doing so. So he realized that he did not and was not deserving of this goodness. Now, I believe we could see a great picture of the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. There is a picture there. This is something to help us to see. But I'm going to say this. God's love is far more than David's. God's goodness is far more than David's because while David, David did not know Mephibosheth, God knew us. God, listen, in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter number 1, the Bible says, verse number 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. So from before the foundation of the world, God knew who we were. God loved, I believe you can see this in Scripture over and over again, that God loved His elect even before the very foundation of the world. And as God was looking down through the ages of time, and God seen the fall, God knew the fall was coming, God said, I'm going to devise a means that I can love them. Because what's going to happen to man now? Man's going to be created, and man's going to fall into sin. Let's, let's look in Isaiah. And I told you we'd be flipping in several places. But in Isaiah 59, sadly, 
this scripture is used and misinterpreted often in revivals. The wrong message is got out of this. In Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. So Adam fell in the garden, and there sin came between man and God. There man fell and become depraved and sinful with a wicked nature and a wicked mind. And God being pure and holy, I mean a God that's so pure, sin cannot be in his presence. That as sin would come in his presence, it's burned up. A God so holy that man in a natural body cannot look on his face. Moses, you can't look on my face. You'll be destroyed. You're going to be burned up. You're going to die if you look at my holiness and my pureness. A God so holy that the sinless created angels fly in heaven with their high head covered and with their feet covered and they proclaim holy, holy, holy is the God. I mean a God that sin cannot come in contact with, a God that cannot look upon sin, a God that cannot embrace sin. And here's man now. Man has fallen in sin and fallen in ungodliness. God desires, he says, you know them that I've loved, I've loved them unto the end and I want to bring them under my arms. I'd like to embrace them as my children. I'd like to give them an inheritance, but their sin has separated themselves from me. So that God, God was still God. His hand was not shortened. His ear was not heavy, but man was in sin and in transgression. See, this scripture is taken a lot of times in revival. It says God's not saving because you've not done. And grievous burdens are laid on men's shoulders. But I'm, if you follow this chapter now, we're not for time's sake, but if you come down in verse 16, in this same chapter of Isaiah 59, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation. You know what God saw? God saw the wickedness of man. Man was cut off and separated from him. But you know God's love and compassion for man. I mean, he loved man. Why, preacher, he just brought in Jesus and he loves us because we came to Jesus. I beg to differ. He loved us before we ever came to Jesus. Jesus was a means for God to bestow his love upon his elect. He knew us from before the foundation of the world and his desire was to redeem them. And when he saw that there was no man, and when he saw that there was no intercessor, and when he saw that man of his own self had no hope, God's arm brought salvation. God said, I will do that I might gather them unto myself. So in Romans chapter 3, you see the same speaking of the condition of man. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And he quotes scripture after scripture here stating the condition that man was in. He was under the curse. 
He had broken the law and God could not continue to be just and holy and embrace man to himself. You see that? It was an impossibility. Because I had sinned, he could not love me. Because I had failed, he could not embrace me. Because man fell in the garden, God could not set him in glory. Man was guilty and every sin and transgression had to receive a just recompense of reward. It's required. That's what justice is. Man says we'd like to have justice. Well, let me tell you, if you're going to get justice before God, if you're going to get what you deserve before God, if you're going to get what's fair for you before God, then let's start laying out our deeds then. One by one, let's lay out what we've done. Let's lay out what we've said. Let's lay out the iniquity and the sin that's in our life. Let's get the Word of God out and realize that the penalty for sin and the wages for sin is death. I wonder then what's going to be fair by the law for us. My God, we're left without hope. We're left in a place God can't show us mercy because He's just and holy, righteous, and He can't acquit the wicked. He can't let sin slide. So God sees man in this condition, fallen and in sin and in wickedness, and God says, I'm going to make a way that I can love them. So God, before the foundation of the world, not seeing just Jesus, but seeing you and I, seeing those that before the foundation of the world, He had chosen. God said, I will redeem them. I will pluck them out of that place. Friends, you see, the love of David for Jonathan brought Mephibosheth to his table. But you realize there was no love for Mephibosheth the man. The love was for Jonathan. David loved Jonathan and that's why that Mephibosheth came. But it's, it's the opposite with God. Listen to this in 1 John. And I realize, I realize we're insufficient to try to get this across. But I would that you could just see a little portion of this. In 1 John chapter number 4, verse number 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So here's the love of God then. You want to see, and you know the devil, the devil we know by the book that he's a liar and the father of it. Jesus states that to us plainly. But the devil will creep in and say, you know, God really don't love you. God really doesn't care for you. And when afflictions and when trouble comes, the devil comes and he whispers that lie in our ear. He says, well, if God loved you, you wouldn't be here. And if God cared for you, you wouldn't go through this. But I'm telling you, we've got by the Word of God, God's love manifested that at a time now when I did not care for God. you know why David loved Jonathan? Because they loved one another. The love was mutual. 
people and we're the same way. You know who we love the most? Them that love us back. Them that reciprocate the love to us. Those are the ones we love. But you let somebody now. Let somebody be mean and not give a nickel about you. We'll see how you feel about them in a day or two. Jonathan was a benefit to David. David was a benefit to Jonathan. They loved one another as one soul. But where were we now? Well, we were in sin. We were no benefit to God. We didn't love God. Nay, the Bible tells us that there wasn't one that sought after God. There's none that doeth good. There's none that seeketh right. There's none that's just and holy in their way. There's none that that was doing the work of God in this world. We were unprofitable. We were unfit. And we were unlovable. That God Almighty looked down through the ages of time seeing us and while we were sinners now, he says in Romans 5, while we were still in sin, while we were still in filth, while we still served the flesh and the desires of it, God sent His Son to give His life for us. John uses the word propitiation. It's like the word mercy seat. God sent Jesus to shed His blood. And you know what's going to happen now? The wrath of God is going to be poured out on Him. God can't embrace sin into His lap. God must judge sin. So then now, the problem is, God says, I love my elect and I'm going to redeem them. How is God going to accomplish that? Now God wasn't sitting at a drawing board like you and I do trying to think up. This was God's eternal, omnipotent, all-knowing, all-seeing mind. This was the plan of God from before the foundation of the world. He said, I'm going to send my son, my beloved son, my only begotten son, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the sins of those that are in wickedness. I'm going to take the rebellion of those. I'm going to take their hatred for me. I'm going to take the sin that they've committed. I'm going to transfer that to Jesus, and Jesus is going to bear the wrath of God for their sins. He's going to be whipped for my iniquities. He's going to be bruised for my transgressions. He's going to bleed because I'm a sinner. And He's going to give His life because I'm depraved. So that now my sin has been laid on the back of the Lamb of God and is paid for in full. But before the death now, He's going to live... He's going to live about 33 and a half years on this earth. And He's going to live in perfect obedience to the law and to the commandments of God all the days of His life. Not just outwardly, where you and I can see it, but inwardly, where God sees. Jesus is going to be perfect. He's going to bear every temptation as the devil takes him 40 days into the wilderness to tempt him and to try him and to draw him. What was the devil tempting him to do? To sin. He was being tested. The burden of sin was being pulled upon. He was a man just like you and I are a man. And he was God just like the Father was God. They were both 
in one body there on the earth and the devil tempts and tries him with every weapon that he's got and Jesus stood victorious. He did not sin and he did not fail, but he was found to be perfect. So now, our guilt was laid on him and he suffered to pay for our guilt. And his perfection now, well, preacher, we failed. I realize that. If anybody knows what failure is, I promise you, it's me. I realize that we've sinned and that we failed. But I can have peace in this, that God loved me when I was a failure. God loved me when I was a sinner. And God still loves me today. Because He sent His Son, Jesus, and His Son paid for those sins. Why, preacher, what about the sins after you're saved? Well, if Jesus didn't pay for those two, then I'm going to hell anyway. Right? I mean, you hear, you hear today that well, after you're saved, you're going to have to pay for those. Well, I can say this. I'm going to be in worse shape at the end than I was before I was saved, if that's the case. I'm still a failure, but I've got assurance in knowing that the Lamb of God has paid for all of my transgressions and He's able to save me to the uttermost. All those that come to God by Him. He's paid for those. And not only that, but His perfect righteousness. Now, He was perfect. And had He not been perfect, He could never have risen from the grave. But His resurrection proved that He was sinless. And so the sinlessness of the Son of God is thereby imputed onto me and you. Those that are in Christ. And the picture there is, you can see the picture of Mephibosheth, that as David looks across the table and sees him sitting there, David sees the one he loves, Jonathan, there. And when somebody says, what, what is that cripple doing? At, who even is that man that's at the king's table? They can say, listen, David's got a man that he loved named Jonathan, and that man is there because David loved Jonathan. David wanted to show kindness to somebody that was of his house. So David wasn't looking at Mephibosheth, but he saw Jonathan there. Well friends, that's how that we can be sinful and yet be accepted with God. The penalty for our sins have been paid and God has put us in Christ Jesus so that when God looks upon us, He doesn't see my record and thank God for it. But when He looks upon us, He sees the record of the precious and beloved Son of God. How are you going to be accepted? God loved us and it was manifested, rendered apparent because He sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. He says in the Gospel of John chapter 1, in Him was life. And He says again later as Jesus is teaching, He says the Father hath life within Him so also the Son hath life within Himself. You know what they had? They had something you and I didn't have. We were dead in trespasses and sins. But you know what they're doing with our brother right now? They're taking blood from another source that's got life in it, that's got good in it, 
And they're transferring that into him that his body might live and grow stronger through that that's from another source. Well, there's the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in us. We didn't have life within ourselves, but God hooked us up to Him. And because we're hooked up to Him, because God has hid us in Jesus, we have life today. We have peace today. We have redemption because God loved us. When did this plan start? A lot of folks would say, well, it started when I fell on my face. I beg to differ. It started before the foundation of the world. That an omnipotent God that knew all things, He looked down and He said, that one, I'm going to redeem that one. I'm going to pull that one out of the darkness. And the Bible says back in Ephesians chapter 1 that He hath made us to the praise of the glory of His grace wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. God made me to be acceptable unto Him. He made me something that I was not before. Now God wanted to do that in the beginning, but there was no meaning for that. You know what Job said? Job said if there was just a daysman, I can't get to God I've sought for Him. I've prayed to Him. But He's hid Himself from me. If there was a daysman, you know what that word means? It's a mediator. It's somebody that can take God in one hand and take me in the other and bring us together into one. Job was looking for somebody that could reconcile him to God. Well, he has... And Job knew now. I don't want to make light of Job at all. Job said those skin worms devour this flesh. I know that in my flesh, I'll see God. He knew and he said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. So Job had knowledge and understanding. But Job said if there was just somebody that could bring me and God together, somebody that could do something about my sin and about my iniquity and that could bring me and God together so that I could get to God and God could get to me, that man was the Lord Jesus Christ. God through Jesus works and makes sinners to be accepted in Jesus. So that now without Jesus... Without His work, no man can come to God. There's no way. Well, what if God wants to save? Well, He'll save through Jesus. And that's the only way that God will save. That's the way God chose. That's the way God accomplished. That's the way God works. And God makes us to be accepted unto Him in the Beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians now, we'll see a picture of this imputation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So God took Jesus, the perfect and sinless Lamb of God, and you know, honest now, everybody before Jesus that died, they died because of sin. Didn't they? I mean, 
I realize sometimes we say today, well, why does that happen to people like that? It's not deserving. But to God's truth is now, I'll speak for me, okay? Whatever comes to me, I, I can't look at God and say, wait a minute, I don't deserve this. I mean, if I left this world today, never again to see my family, never again to see my boys, I'd have to say, I've, I've deserved that. I've earned that of myself. But the Lord Jesus had no sin within Him. How is this man going to die? I'll tell you how. God made him to be sin. God imputed our sin on him. The, the word means to lift in a lot of places. And you think about that picture, to lift. If you're falling under a burden, you got a backpack on that's just breaking you down, and I lift that off of you, and you go free, and you're able to go. Now that didn't disappear into the glory lands, but I lifted it. That come off of you, and the weight of it come on me. I'll carry that for you. If you've got young'uns, I bet you've done that before. You've seen them. They want to do it. They're struggling. Here, honey, let me carry that for you. I'll take the burden off of you, and I'll carry it. It's a whole lot easier for me to carry it. Well, that's what the Lamb of God did. Our sins didn't just disappear up into heaven, or they didn't just get thrown into the ocean, but the Lamb of God took them off of us, and He put them on His back, and He carried Him up the hill of Calvary, and they nailed Him to the cross and there our sins was done away with they were they were done away with and if they weren't then we've got a salvation that's not complete if you're going to tell me I've got to pay for something then you're telling me Jesus didn't completely save me and he's left something that I have to finish for him. That is not biblical. He made him to be sin for me. Not, it was not for Jesus' sake. No, Jesus endured. And Jesus was the Savior for the elect's sake. That those that God foreknew might be brought into the plan of life. God's love was so, not that we were deserving of it. It's not that we were down on our knees two or three hours a day praying. It's not that we were saying, God, woe is me, I'm a sinner. It's not that we were crying out saying, something needs to change about me. Nobody was like that. We were good the way we were. We done as we saw fit and we thought we were fine the way we were and we were hateful towards the very words of God. And when we were yet sinners, God died for us. He sent His Son and made Him to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him so that God now... As we sit at the table, and it's not that God never loved us, it's contrary to that. God loved us, 
And that's why He executed this plan for us. And now we can be brought in. You know what God can do? God can come and embrace us. I can get in a place that I'm broken and I can fall on my face and I can pray unto God. And you know what God can do? God can be a Father. And He can come and embrace me and say, Son, I'm with you. My grace is sufficient. I'll be with you even unto the end. You put your trust and your faith and your belief in me and I'll strengthen you to endure what you fight. He's a father. You know how he can be a father like that? How can God love a sinful man like that? Why, preacher, if you sin this week, God won't hear you. Oh boy. Then who's ever been heard? Man likes to think he's hyper-righteous in his own mind. My God, we're accepted in the Beloved. I'm accepted in Jesus. And I received something from Jesus that I did not have of myself. And Jesus received of me something He did not have. My sin, my iniquity, and my transgression was laid on His back and He bore that to Calvary, and His righteousness, and His holiness, and His pureness was transmitted unto me. Why, preacher, what about Abraham? If Abraham had something of works, he could glory in it. But you know what the Word of God says? That Abraham believed, and it was imputed to him. God took something out of his bank account that Abraham didn't have, and give it to him. That's not for his sake alone. Was it written that it was imputed to him? But for ours also, that God takes out of his account and puts it on ours. You know how that happens? Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. What a love of God for us that he desired to come to where we are and make us acceptable unto him. And now he don't adopt now. Some say born again in the Bible. John says born again. Paul says adopted. Same thing. Same picture. But God doesn't adopt us in to make us red-headed stepchildren. God don't bring us into his family to make us to be meaningless and worthless servants. But you know what the Bible says, and I'm going to be honest with you, as I think on this, my God, it almost feels like sin to think this way because I know what I am. But it's in the book. The Bible says we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I'm a co-heir. I'm an inheritor along with the beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Why, preacher, God's going to lavish the Son. He's going to honor Him. He's going to be glorified forever and ever. And the church of the living God is going to be there in Him. I'm an inheritor with Him. Now, God's love for sinners now that were wicked, that were rebellious, that were hateful for Him. You want to know what real love is? I, I believe it worked the same for every man and woman in here. Maybe in one case, 
there was love at first sight. But it didn't all happen in the first minute that you met. But there was some wooing done. And men, they tried to impress. And women, they tried to impress their men. And there was a relationship built and a love established. And as, uh, later on, a marriage took place and a home and a family built. But that happened over time. It didn't happen instantly. That co-love was there and they, the love grew more and more. That was never there for God. I never cared about God. I did not love God. I did not desire to hear from God. I never loved Him. There was not one point in my life that I loved God. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and He manifested it by sending His Son. How do you know? The devil says, why? How do you know God loves you? We can look to Calvary and know of a surety that God loves us more than mom and daddy loves you. God loves you more than children love you. God loves you more than grandparents love you. Because I'm telling you this, you get mom and daddy to give one of their other youngins for you, they're going to be in a tough place. But you know what God did? God said, I'm going to give my son that they might be adopted into my family. I'm going to make them acceptable unto me. I'm going to take them and form them into that that they never were before. It's all a result of the work of God. So that God now can take His church and bring them under His wings as a hen doth her brood. And He can manifest His love on His children by the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God in this world. We're not left alone to flounder. My God, if God just brought us in and left us right there, we'd ever, I tell you what we'd be like, we'd be like Simon Peter. And in a day or two we'd say, boys, I don't know about you, but I'm going back to fishing. I'm going back to what I was before. People are hard on Peter. But you know what he was? He, he was not indwelled with a spirit there. Jesus was gone. He had been crucified. There was nothing there to keep him. God don't leave us in a place where there's nothing to keep us. But God dwells with us by His Spirit and by that Spirit He puts within us. i tell you what He does. Nature and a new desire that now out of my nature I cry unto God and I don't say, Oh, holy and high God, but I can get down on my face. And if you look at the Lord's prayers in the New Testament, how does the Lord pray? How does He address God when He prays? Father. Oh, Father. That loving relationship was there. Jesus could pray unto God and say, Oh, Father. And God could answer him back and say, This is my beloved Son. Now, you know how we can pray? The Bible says in Romans, 
and in Galatians that he sent forth the Holy Spirit in my heart. And that gave me a new nature. And I don't have to come before God in fear. Now, I don't mean that irreverently. We ought to be reverent towards God, just like we're reverent towards our natural father. But I say this, I don't come in fear, worrying that He's going to cast me away or that He don't care. But I can come and by the Spirit I can say, Abba! Father, would you be mindful? Would you strengthen me? Would you help me? And the Father can say, Son, I'm with you. Oh, we can can pray as Jesus prayed and we can be answered as Jesus was answered. Not because of us, though, but because of this love that surpasses our ability to to understand. We could never love our enemies like this. You could never turn your cheek like God turns His cheek. And I'm going to tell you something. You come after my family, I'm not turning a cheek. I'll kill you if I have to. That's the truth. You're the same way. You'd kill to protect. You'd kill in order to keep. You know what God did? I tell you, talk about turning His cheek. God willingly took the beating as they would smite Him on the face. He turned His cheek because He was bearing that for us. He took the burden of sin that we could be free of that. That's all it's on our heart. I know... It's been scattered and all.